this is Jan Swift, and you're listening to Discover Lafayette, a podcast dedicated to the people and rich culture of Lafayette, the gateway to South Louisiana. Our taping is made possible with the support of Raider, a hands-on IT service provider that integrates all of your needs for advanced technical support, effective communication options, and cybersecurity. Raider's motto is, you just want it to work. We understand. Please visit RaiderSolutions.com for more information. The generosity of Oxner Lafayette General also makes this podcast possible. As Acadiana's largest regional health system, including two teaching hospitals and the region's only level two trauma center with more than 5,500 employees, Oxner Lafayette General strives to put patients first and make caring their top priority. In continuous efforts to reach more patients, Oxner Lafayette General provides services throughout Acadiana and facilitates telemedicine throughout the state, making healthcare more accessible for everyone. For more information, visit OxnerLG.org. We're proud to welcome our newest sponsor, Home Bank, where you'll not only find trusted financial advisors, but neighbors who will help you stay ahead of identity thieves. Home Bank encourages you to limit the use of paper checks, which contain your personal or business information, along with your bank account number. When possible, choose to pay with cash, debit, or credit cards, or with your phone's mobile wallet. Learn more at home24bank.com. We have a special show today to discuss the Bayou Vermilion Preservation Association's efforts to educate our community about the many ways we can all help protect the Vermilion. I'd like to welcome to the studio Amber Robinson, Chris Adams, and Kira Fry to Discover Lafayette. Let's jump right in so that we can share your passion for your volunteer work on behalf of all of us. So Amber Robinson, if we can start with you, just give us your your background. Yeah, sure. So I am an environmental scientist and project manager for a local environmental consulting firm called HDR Engineering here in Lafayette. And Chris Adams. Hi, thanks for having us. Um, I work for the city of Lafayette in the planning department, um, and I get to engage with this great organization through that. It really is. And then Kara Fry, what's your background? Uh, Yeah, I work for LUS as an environmental compliance supervisor in the industrial pretreatment department, and I'm also the secretary for BVPA. Okay. So, Amber, let's go back to you. What is the Bayou Vermilion Preservation Association. Sure. So we are a 501c3 nonprofit. We have a mission to create awareness of our natural environment by providing education and outreach to the general community about ways to conserve, protect, and enjoy the watershed. Um, Our board and our technical advisory team is comprised of a variety of really dedicated and passionate environmental philanthropists, including retired teachers, government employees, Department of Environmental Quality staff, state staff, we have Bayou Vermilion District staff, technology professionals, I mean, just runs the gambit. We're a very diverse group of people, but mostly we're just concerned citizens about our watershed um, and and we're just wanting to to do do good by it. Right, so for 
most of us, um, I'm going to get you to put your notes down too, because you know this stuff backwards and forwards. Most of us don't know the difference between the Bayou Vermilion District mm -hmm. and the Preservation Association. So what is the BVD that we pay taxes to? So Bayou Vermilion District um, is actually, like you said, people pay taxes. There's a millage that mm -hmm. um, provides, and they provide an excellent service to our community, something that a lot of folks don't know about. They keep our Vermilion um River clean, um, and BVPA is basically a nonprofit that can support BVD on um, education and awareness uh, regarding recreation in our community and along the watershed. So, completely separate group mm -hmm. doing something completely separate, but very important to our community and very important for us to know about the differences. And I think it's important to realize the distinction. BVD is a government. Entity, you know, That's funded right. by government, mm -hmm. our dollars. That's right. Is funding it, but the association BVPA is a five hundred one c three. And I went to your website. And I have to say, it's beautiful, and there's oh, so you. much. Yeah, for people that after the show, if you want to go look at the website, there's so much about. I mean, there's dozens and dozens of advisory members and programming and all, which we'll get into today. But you've got an excellent website, so Thank I want to congratulate you on that. Yeah. So, Kara, let's pivot to you. How did the um, Bayou Vermilion Preservation Association, which we can call BVPA, I just didn't want to get tongue-tied, how was it started and, and what's the who are the people behind this? Sure, absolutely. Some people may uh, recall the late um, Charles Wyatt and Jan Wyatt, and they were pivotal in founding the organization. Um, basically, in 2013, members of the Lafayette Garden Club we're seeking a special project that they could do to focus on protecting aquatic ecosystems. Mm -hmm. And so some of those members got together and created basically what became the BVPA. Um, and they started getting a lot of different groups together. So like Amber mentioned, you've got um, DEQ, the Department of Wildlife and Fisheries. You've got LCG's Environmental Quality Department. Um, the Tesh Vermilion Freshwater District, that's another one that's mm -hmm. uh, funded by a millage. Um, and then you've got UL's geosciences departments and lots of other folks that they pulled together. So in 2014, they held their first annual river symposium, which was a chance to have a bunch of speakers from all of those um, organizations come together and give scientific lectures. They hosted tours of the watershed, um, basically getting together all of the stakeholders in the area and the conservation groups and and really having a collaboration of mm -hmm. all of those different citizen groups. And um, we actually started doing bi-weekly water testing in the summer of 2014 that continues today. And uh, let's see, in October of 2014, I'll point this one out, um, BVPA par partnered with CGI and created an interactive GIS-based uh, paddle trail map mm -hmm. that you can check out uh, online. And <clears throat> our members continue to work to this day to educate the community about the different ways to conserve and protect okay. our Bayou Vermilion watershed. Okay. So Amber, what is the importance of the annual river symposium? So our annual river symposium is our biggest fundraiser of the year. Um, and every year there's a different theme. And basically it's a, it's a gathering where we invite presenters to speak on a variety of topics. Um, this year, after a two-year hiatus, we're finally able to host um, our symposium. We're having it, typically we have it in the fall this year, we're having it in the spring just because mm -hmm. we've had to push it back so much. 
Um, but we're so thrilled to finally um, to kick it off. And, and this year's theme is all about innovation. Um, it's entitled Innovation on the Bayou, Harnessing New Ideas for Watershed Improvement. Um, and we have such a great lineup of innovators. I'm excited to report people like Warren Abadie from LCG um, is going to come in and talk to us about um, basically some innovative solutions to some ongoing problems uh, regarding um, flooding in, mm. in our community. He's with transportation. Yes, right, that's right. Transportation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We have um, Tara Ross from the Calcasieu Parish Police Jury coming to us to talk about um, uh, how they've been dealing with routine inspections on uh, sewer systems. Uh, BVD's been doing a great job of doing that work through grant money, mm -hmm. um, but they've took it to another another level in terms of putting it into their policy and their parish policy. Um, and so we're very excited to hear from her and learn from, right. from them. Um, we have folks from CGI talking to us about regional watershed management, uh, and, and folks like Kilia Bingham from Acadiana Planning Commission um, as well, talking about watershed management. Um, oh, I'm very excited about Ben Marlboro. He is the director of Biofouche Freshwater District. He's coming to talk to us about his relationship um, with the nonprofit that they created, Friends of Bayou Lafouche, and uh, basically how they've leveraged that relationship to really make a difference in the community, um, funding it through grant mm. money. Um, so really excited to hear from him yeah. and how we can maybe learn more from him. And then at the very end, we'll have uh, a group of panelists um, basically talking about innovation in the future. Mm -hmm. um, Gretchen Vanacore, Office of Sustainability, Michael Cullen with Land Design Architecture, Brian Piazza, the Nature Conservancy, and um, the really wonderful Monique Boulay with the Katie Anna Planning Commission will be coming out to, to kind of give their thoughts on yeah. how, how we as a watershed community can be more innovative in our approaches. Um, and I think the pandemic really kind of bolstered our thoughts on this mm -hmm. um, this topic uh, because it really forced us to all sort of pivot a little bit and figure out how to be more resourceful, thoughtful about the decisions we make, um, not to mention all of the flooding that we've been you know, going yeah. through in the community. So I think this is a really worthwhile topic and people are going to be really excited um, to share the information they have um, with us. And I think it's going to be a really great, great event. We'll have coffee and biscuits in the morning um, that's included in registration and then a, a box lunch for folks to partake in. Um, we have awards that we give out every every year and we're also um, giving away, we're doing some raffling. We're gonna give away a couple rain barrels and a BBPA t-shirt. Um, we just recently designed a t-shirt called Ice Ski the Vermilion. It's really cool and I think people are gonna really like it. That's so cute. yeah, we're gonna- um, In rain barrels, wow. Yeah, so we'll share all of that. And hopefully um, our website has all this information mm -hmm. on it. So you can go go online and um, register there. Uh, it's $27 um, for a single ticket. If you're a student, it's only $5. So students cool. come out, um, learn a little bit about the watershed, and um, definitely a great networking opportunity mm -hmm. for anyone who is interested in getting involved in this, in this sort of thing. So, yeah. My girls went to school out at the academy in Grand Coteau, and you know that's a 200-year-old school. And one of my most vivid memories is, it's like, I guess it's a rain barrel, but it's gigantic, <laughs> ginormous. You know, it's bigger <laughs> than gigantic. But it makes you think about how people in the past had to conserve yeah. their resources. I mean, mm -hmm. being out in the middle of nowhere to be able to collect 
clean rainwater was a gift. Edlon, this might be a great segue into water quality um, because, you know, in here where we're from, quantity is not our issue, right? Mm -hmm. We have plenty of water to go around, whereas in other places like Texas, they're constantly trying to Mm -hmm. conserve water. It's water quality that we have have issues with, and historically that's been our biggest issue in the Vermilion. Um, Mm -hmm. So maybe maybe, uh, we can talk about some of the things that we've been doing. Yeah, yeah, I've read. You gave me extensive notes that have been fascinating because, again, most of us just depend on LUS like we get our water, and we're not thinking about, you know, on a day-to-day basis, how clean is it, mm-hmm. what have people let run into the, the water system, and mm-hmm. so all of this is fascinating. Um, I'd, I'd like to move and ask uh, Chris next. Chris, give you a chance to talk about what else does BVPA do in addition to the annual symposium, and we can move into these water quality issues. Right, we do a lot of activities throughout the year. Um, we really partner with a lot of other nonprofits, um, join forces, as well as government agencies, and we do stuff throughout the year. Um, we uh, ha- coming up. We have our symposium, of course, but the day after it, on March 26, we have a tree planting um, that's going to be out at Beaver Park. We're going to plant wetland shrubs and trees around the edges of the pond there, um, just to increase biodiversity. Um, and we do um, other activities through the year, including in trying to engage with kids. Um, we have a parish-wide litter poster contest. Uh, we've done a rain barrel art contest, get kids involved in the idea of rain barrels by also decorating them artistically, mm-hmm. um, and plenty of other programs that, that engage with kids uh, and get them involved with the outdoors and, and our watershed. Okay. Um, and, and maybe I should mention, like, what is a watershed? Please do, yeah. <laughs> I was going to have to look that up. <laughs> we, we think about it and talk about it a lot, but you, you know, I didn't always know what that was, and a lot of people don't. And the watershed, for us, we're talking about the Vermilion, um, river in particular, the Tesh River as well, um, or, or Bayou, and, and depends on uh, who you are, if you prefer to say river or Bayou. But both cases, they pull water from the landscape. And the portions of the landscape that drain their water into those bayous at some point, that is the watershed. Um, so, um, so it's a bigger picture Yeah, and it's not, just, it's not just the, the land that's adjacent to the river on the bank. Because coolies run into the river, mm-hmm. and uh, canals run into the coolies, and ditches run into the canals. So all of that land that drains, uh, what you might just see as going into a roadside ditch or your front yard ditch, eventually ends up in the right. river. And so that whole area, that's, that's the watershed. And that's just so important. Most of us aren't thinking, and I, I know this now from some interviews I've done on, on this podcast, but when you see yard men blowing... Mm-hmm. The you know cut grass, mm-hmm. just leaving it on the street, it ends up in the Vermilion. Mm-hmm. When you see things flying out of pickup trucks mm-hmm. or people, yesterday I was driving down the street and somebody just threw out a you know empty bag of their Cheetos. It's like really, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, that's what, right. What, we, I guess they're not thinking, but it all ends up clogging up and and really deteriorating our waterway. Well, it's a really hidden thing when it on the side of the street there's a little culvert and water goes in it. Okay, great. It's dealt with. Well, <laughs> it goes into a culvert, which goes into a pipe, which probably goes into a coolie, which then goes into the river. So, you know, that plastic wrapper or that fast food um, bottle or whatever it is that flew out of your truck or got mm-hmm. dropped, um, it often ends up in the water as well. Right. Um, 
Well, Kira, I know this affects our water quality, right? Absolutely. All these things we're talking about, if you want to um, you talk know, about some issues. There was a period of time, maybe back in the 70s and 80s, where the Vermilion River was considered one of the most polluted. And uh, visually looking at it, a lot of people have negative thoughts about this brown, mm-hmm. stagnant-looking sort of uh, body of water. And, um, you know, you always see the floating trash and debris in there because, like, we said everything drains to the bayou. Um, and we don't want tourists or people who live here to think that of our river. Um, it's not what we want our children or grandchildren to grow up with. Um, so one of our big focuses is on educating the community about the actual state of the river. It's 70 miles of uh, waterway. And, you know, it's got a great utilitarian value, um, not only for uh, fishing, which is perfectly safe to eat the fish out of it, but maybe just taking a look and saying, why is it so brown? A lot of people think, oh, it looks bad. Um, but this is Louisiana. And so you've got a lot of clay and silt that just stays in the water and is suspended there. And you've got, um, the sources of water when it rains coming and adding and mixing all of that mud up as it were, Uh, But it's actually, you know, it's fine to eat the fish out of there. It's fine to go kayaking and stuff on it. Um, We've done some testing, and it's not exactly, uh, uh, what's the word, Uh, allowed for primary contact. So that Mm -hmm. would be anything like swimming and stuff. And most of that is due to home septic systems uh, that discharge into it that maybe aren't maintained properly. But the good news is that it's getting better because Mm -hmm. everybody is getting aware of Let's keep my litter out of it. Let's keep my grass clippings out of it. You know, all that contributes, each little thing can add up. And then you have this great resource of the Tesh Vermilion Freshwater District, which actually pumps fresh water from the Atchafalaya River down into the Tesh, which then flows into the Vermilion. And all of that um, increases the flow of that water and so therefore it's less stagnant and mm-hmm. so it's not gonna it's not gonna smell as much and it has more oxygen available for the the fish and whatnot there so um long term the sampling that we do with the Tesh vermilion freshwater district and all of that is actually showing that um, the water quality is improving due to all mm-hmm. of those efforts and you know you got to give a shout out to the community for thinking about it and educating themselves and their kids and, and improving that water quality um I want to ask, you know, you were mentioning earlier, Amber, about um, Calcasieu is sending someone over to Mm -hmm. talk about the sewage, you know, the waste treatment. And I used to live out in the country and everybody had their own sewage system. So when I moved to town, it was just like, yay, because we would keep ours up. But the former uh, CEO of the Bayou Vermilion had talked to me about this during our podcast. And he said, you know, you have to get it inspected when it's put in, but you don't necessarily... I don't think the state has this system about going back to make sure after 15 years or something Mm -hmm. that it's working. So this symposium coming up is really a wonderful opportunity for all of us to to figure out what we can do uh, to make a difference. Because we do have so many unincorporated areas in Lafayette Mm -hmm. Parish, just just Lafayette Parish, much less the the entire region where the watershed is. Mm -hmm. So let's go over one more thing, Kira. Primary contact is swimming. Right. And so it's not necessarily always safe to swim, but it could be at times, right? Like it's definitely. So um, we sample about 20 different sites on the Vermilion River, starting up near Arnoldville all the way down to Intercoastal City. Mm-hmm. And if you look at some of the data that we have over the uh, 
past five years or so, um, you can see that the DEQ's limit for meeting the recreational use of swimming is based off fecal coliform. So that's going to be in your poops. And <laughs> it's not just human poops either. You have to think about all the agricultural land or farmland mm -hmm. that's there. It's a lot of septic systems and, and other municipal treatment systems that discharge to it. But basically, if fecal's there, you're going to have a lot of other bacteria in there as well. Mm -hmm. So you don't want to go jumping in if you've got a cut or something. It could just be risky. Um, but secondary contact, which is anything like uh, in a boat or, or even fishing from it, that is all fine. And, and fish. Yeah. And safe. I recently went kayaking and put my feet in it and I'm fine today. So <laughs> goodness, we have to reschedule. <laughs> no webbed feet, huh? Not yet. One, one of the things that I've been surprised to learn through our uh, data collection and then looking at that information is that, like you, like you mentioned, there, there may indeed actually be parts of the year where um, it is even safe to go swimming. Mm -hmm. Now, we don't have the, the documentation right now to really say when that is, um, but what that indicates to me is that we're getting closer and closer to a clean river that you can do anything, anything. in. Anything. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which is what we want. Yes, yes, that would be fantastic. Right. So the the monthly, Chris, let's stay with that. The um, monthly water samples are collected, and you're saying that y'all are looking at short-term and the long-term implications of the state of the, the river. If you can talk some about the, more of the details on that. Yeah. Um, we've, uh, like Kara mentioned, we've got 20 sites, about 20 sites uh, along the length of the watershed, along the length of the river. And those uh, sites are, we take water samples on a monthly basis, and we've been doing that for years. And so once we have monthly data spread out over years, we can go back and look at that um, and get a really clear picture of the patterns. Um, we can understand that when the water is low in the river, um, some of the risk factors increase, like some of the bacterial factors increase. So we need we need good regular quantities of water flowing down the river. Um, but we also notice that when there's a big uh, flooding event or rainstorm, sometimes that wa that overwhelms those individual septic systems at people's homes. That uh, and and then that overflow can then wash into the river. And so that's another period of time when it's a little more risky. Um, but it also points to what the solutions are. Um, it helps mm -hmm. us know that, that some of the ways to help get that last leg of getting that river clean and safe is to make sure we're taking care of um, those, those potential problem areas. Okay. And also, you know, let's not forget the value of planting native plants in those areas, not only to prevent erosion, but they mm -hmm. can help capture some of that stormwater before it reaches uh, right. the Vermilion watershed. Right. Well, let's, um, on that note, I'd like to pause before we get into that, because I think that's like really the segue for a lot of the other things we're going to be talking about. Um, during every show, we stop and listen back to a clip of prior interviews I've done. And I thought this was really relevant. I'd like to reflect back on an interview I did with David Cheremy. He's the former CEO of the Bayou Vermilion District, and that is the government, you know, the taxpayer-funded group. David is no longer with BVD, but he's been a passionate spokesperson for helping people understand the symbiotic relationship between our culture the land and the water, which is what we're also talking about today. You can hear David's interview and many others, over 250 others, at discoverlafayette.net. This moment is made possible by FACET, which offers career transition services and executive coaching. They've done so for 40 years. 
Their experienced career strategists provide targeted coaching for C-suite and key employees on critical improvement areas, in addition to new leader assimilation for all levels. Visit facetgroup.com for more information. We people, your success. And now, the moment. I've always um, tried to put the emphasis since, uh, even before I came to this position, uh, help people understand the relationship between the culture and the land and the water, mm-hmm. um, how we are part of the land and the, and, the, and the land is part of us. And it's, it's just inseparable. You know, we wouldn't have the same culture if we would, uh, right. if we wouldn't work for the fishermen and the hunters and the trappers mm-hmm. and the farmers and the, the, the people who raise horses and cattle. I mean, that, that's all, you know, uh, anchored into our, um, into our culture so deeply. And that's really what, what informs our culture to a great extent. So we can't, we wouldn't have the same culture if we had a different environment, and the environment uh, is, is shaped also by the people who live there. So that's that's uh, that's the, the emphasis I try to put it as far as that uh, is making that connection between the land and the culture. Welcome back to Discover Lafayette. We're here with Amber Robinson, Chris Adams, and Kara Fry. So where were we? I think we were going to be talking about resilient landscapes, about the importance of planting shrubs and trees and whatever that will help sustain not only the land itself, but keep things from going into the river, right? It's like a natural barrier. Yeah, we were the uh, recipients of a great HDR foundation grant, which I'll let Amber speak a lot more about, but um, reviving resilient landscapes that uh, was a great project we worked on for years. Yeah, so um, I guess back in... It was around 20, it was just before the pandemic, a few of the board members wanted to assist Trees Acadiana with Mm -hmm. um, getting more funds to plant more trees, native trees. And a lot of us had come up with this notion of, you know, wanting to just spread native plants all over the watershed. And so it was just a nice opportunity Mm -hmm. to collaborate with Trees Acadiana and and other partners in preservation. Um, within the community. So we went after this grant um, and um, were funded nearly $13,000. And the basic vision was to increase community resilience by combining resources, person power, and Mm -hmm. community connections of experts and citizen-based conservation groups across our region to um, make our landscapes more resilient. And the focus was native plants because we Mm -hmm. were partnering with a group uh, called Acadiana Native Plant Project. Um, And so uh, we did host, as a result of that funding, we hosted uh, eight volunteer-based planting workshops um, where uh, we basically empowered participants and members of our watershed community to reestablish resilient landscapes, um, not just in public parks uh, within our watershed, but also at their own home, like on mm-hmm. their own piece of grass. So um, the workshops were really neat. Uh, we basically, ahead of time, picked these locations. Um, there were five bankline stabilization projects and three um, just tree plantings within our watershed in urban areas. Uh, and uh, the bankline stabilization projects were chosen because they were um, bank lines that had been previously disturbed and could use some um, some improvement. Mm-hmm. Um, and we we basically took a look at the surrounding area, developed a native plant design plan. So basically, we landscaped it, uh, utilizing experts in our community. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And then we invited uh, our members of our community to come help us do that planting. Uh, and at the workshop, they learned about resilient landscapes, native plants, um, and then they actually got to get a little dirty and plant the plants with us. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, fun- the grant also funded um, native plants for them to take home so that the information that they learned at the workshop could actually be spread um, in the community, you know, through their own residential homes. Um, Amber, do you know the types of native plantings? Or was that were you involved with this initial, you know, the initiative? Were you do you know about the native plantings that they recommended that people use? If you go to our website actually and click mm-hmm. on the Reviving Resilient Landscape Programming, you can find matrix okay. for the different types of plants based on uh-huh. whether you have sun, whether it's occasionally okay. flooded. There are great matrix that we made available to the public that mm-hmm. came out of these workshops. Depending on their own particular situation. The landscape, yeah. yeah. So the bank line stabilization projects, we chose mostly wetland native plants, whereas the um, the watershed urban plant which were in in public parks um, we just chose native trees that were um, typically found in mm-hmm. our area um, uh, so yeah like Kira said though we I couldn't name all of them there were mm-hmm. so many different species of plants that we used mm-hmm. um, but go to our website the RL um, portal has pictures has design information. Um, And the other neat thing about the project, um, we got so engaged in the community and the community loved the idea so much um, that we were able to get um, in-kind donations from other sponsors after we received funding from the HDR Foundation. And one of those came from the state forestry program. Um, They actually funded uh, uh, enough money for us to construct and install eight yeah. educational kiosks $10, at $10,000. Huh? Yes, That's at each Those location. Yeah, I know. It's all and, expensive. And we were so lucky um, that because of the pandemic, and we, we had to do some pivoting in terms of our budget because we weren't able to host a few workshops, um, the HDR Foundation allowed us to use some of the dollars to design. So we had a professional designer um, design the educational signs for us. Um, which was fantastic um, for us is it's you know we're mostly volunteer based group so it's a it's a lot of work to as you can imagine to create this type of signage um, and we have QR codes on each sign and it, and it basically has created um, what we like to call an RL watershed trail because the plantings start all the way up in Leonville so we did a few on the Tesh mm-hmm. in conjunction with our partnership with the Tesh project and then we did um, we did some along the Vermilion um, so it goes from all the way up from Leonville all the way down to Palmetto Island State Park um, in Vermilion Parish. Uh, So you can really, you know, take a a car tour or, you know, maybe a boat tour if you wanted to, to kind of go down uh, and see each sign. But each sign has a QR code, takes you to our website, and that will also get you more information about each particular Mm -hmm. site, the partners that uh, contributed um, on each project. Um, and uh, just basic information about design. There's a native plant spotlight on each sign so that you can read more about particular native plants that you'd want to use in our landscape. So um, just a ton of information and amazing collaboration came out of this this one tiny little nutshell of an idea, which was right. we just want to spread more native plants around mm-hmm. the community. It's and really- I'm thinking about knuckleheads like me that do not have a green thumb. <laughs> but a lot of this again, is to educate us to where if you don't have a lot of money, 
you can kind of get a head start on what would be good mm -hmm. for my particular situation. Totally. And mm -hmm. that's the part of the point of this is offering these educational or right. informational um you know, sessions where people can get an idea what's the best way to, totally. to take care of the environment while I have a beautiful yard or totally. business or whatever it is, you know. Totally. And, and you know, that was a part of it. Um, we, we were able to do a few of these types of workshops, almost like a pilot, you know, concept before we received the full grant money. And we were asking folks to bring pictures of their landscapes mm -hmm. so that we could, you know, we'd have biologists and um, folks who were... Uh, uh, experts at landscape design at the workshop so that people could talk about, mm -hmm. you know, this is what my space looks like. What should I plant here? Yeah. Or this is the, I want pollinators or I want, uh, maybe I have a small wetland, you know, what, mm -hmm. what type of native wetland plants should I plant there? And where so, do I go? Yeah. Where and where do I, where I, do I go them? to find native plants? Mm -hmm. Definitely. Mm -hmm. Um, so, so that was definitely an outcome of, of those workshops. And, other really cool thing. There were so many things that just spiraled, you know, as we kind yeah. of kept doing, doing the workshops, we, we were able to use a portion of the HDR foundation funds to also produce, um, video. So we have a, a few videos from the workshops that are available online for folks, um, to, to learn more about yeah. how to plant native plants. Cause that's what, you know, the workshops were about, um, in particular, uh, we have one at uh, the Tesh, one of the Tesh plantings, uh, really gets into uh, river bank dynamics and why it's so important to stabilize our banks with with plants and maybe not necessarily hard structures in every situation. Although mm -hmm. hard structures were, you know, are used, you know, in some cases, but you know, these nature-based solutions are are really a nice comprehensive way to to deal with some of these challenges that we have on our on our waterways. So. It's a, it was a great project. Love talking about it. <laughs> well, Chris, I understand, and I've dealt with the Apache Corporation before. For Upper Lafayette, I, I got hundreds of trees donated, oh, and many people don't realize the commitment that Apache has made. That's a national corporation. They're mm -hmm. oil and gas, right? But right. They are committed to seeing, I, I know it was one million way back, but they've given probably much more than one million trees throughout the U.S., and you can, you can get these trees... Through grants. So if you want to talk about that end of what you guys are working on. Yeah, that was a really great opportunity that, like like your example, a lot of organizations in our Lafayette and Acadiana area have mm -hmm. taken advantage of Apache Corporation. Um, they have a lot of money that they put towards restoration and replanting of native mm -hmm. uh, species. And you and, can tell them what you want. Yeah, so right? this is a, we just, uh, a very simple grant to fill out. We said we're a nonprofit. We want to mm -hmm. plant wetland trees. And this is uh, how we want to do it and how many mm -hmm. trees we want to plant. And uh, they award that to us. Um, and so that was really great. We decided to focus on, we had noticed that Lafayette has several parks with ponds and quite a few of those ponds uh, had very little in the way of native plants around them. Hmm. Um, uh, one of the ponds actually has some cypress trees and nothing else. And the other two ponds really don't have much else in the way of trees. Uh, so we asked for wetland specific trees and shrubs that we could then plant along the shorelines. Um, of, of these three uh, Lafayette ponds. And so that's uh, Beaver Park, which is the planting that's coming up in a couple of weeks. Mm -hmm. uh, that's also Moore Park, uh, planting that we did just 
two weeks ago, I think March, it was. Yeah. And um, uh, Southside Regional Park, which is the pond next to Faubacher Field. Mm -hmm. um, and so these are the three parks we focused on. And we started with Faubacher Field, both because it was maybe the one with the most need, um, and also because it was uh, coincided with Arbor Day. And so when we did that planting, we also had a lot of community out. We had kids' activities. Mm -hmm. um, and we were sponsored by LUS. And that was a really great benefit uh, to be able to bring this more widely to the community. Um, what was the turnout like? Uh, do you remember? I think it was uh, around yeah. 70 people total, including volunteer. Like, so that's the community, right? Plus yeah. all of the BBPA and our partners that's in preservation volunteers. Especially yeah. since it was like 26 it was degrees. Very cold. Oh, that yeah. was that cold, cold morning. Yeah. <laughs> we had to push back the event by a few hours, and we still had a great turnout. That's wonderful. Yes. And it's, yeah. it's still all right to plant trees in Louisiana when it's that cold. Because, again, mm -hmm. we're dealing with natives. So if you don't have a green thumb, the natives are forgiving. Yeah. They're meant for this climate. They're Mm -hmm. for either extreme water situations or drought like we have so um yeah yeah and some of those native plants that we selected um a couple of the trees like red maple uh, cypress or water tupelo but also some of the smaller and, and wetland uh, types of parsley hawthorn button bush is a, a very popular one virginia sweet spire uh, tai tai um, even Turk's cap. And all of these are also uh, trees and plants that attract pollinators as well. Um, so we're hoping they're going to bring a little bit of biodiversity yeah. to the area as well as beauty. And shade, right? Exactly. For the kids at right. the parks. Yeah. So one of the reasons we're doing this podcast when we are is to promote both the symposium, mm -hmm. right, on the, that's um, on the March 25th. 25th. And then the next day, March 26th at Beaver Park from 9 to noon. So again, if people are interested in volunteering or just showing up to see what the deal is, they just go to your website, the, the yes, BBPA site, mm -hmm. and they can get more information. Yes, Do they need to sign up or can they just show up? Yeah, so we, we, we're asking folks to register. Mm -hmm. It's nice to know how many people are going to be there. Not to mention we give them some instructions. We want to make sure that we have folks bringing water. Um, we normally ask for people to bring a shovel, um, gloves, so that they, if they don't yeah. want to get their hands, you know, prepared. dirty. Yeah, we want right. to prepare people. So yeah, and we also do a lot of um, social media posting on Instagram and Facebook, so you okay. can follow us there, and and that information is should be available there as well. Okay, so you help maintain Beaver Park. Yeah, our organization has adopted Beaver Park, mm -hmm. and so we also do regular cleanup days where we walk the park, pick up any litter. Is there a lot um, of litter? Sometimes <laughs> <laughs> we've been we've been working on it for about a year or so. So mm -hmm. I feel like every time it's a little bit better. Good. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And then we've done other beautification efforts um, around the boat dock and that shoreline right there um, and around the pond. And so mm -hmm. it's an ongoing project and that we're excited about. Yeah. I'd, and I'd like to mention just a shout out to to um, resource. Uh, it's Res. What's the acronym, you guys? Resource Res Project. I wasn't sure. R E S. Yeah. So R E S is a mitigation bank company, local company here in Lafayette, and they actually reached out to us. They wanted to help out somehow. Oh. Yeah. So they um, spent their own time and dollars to help install, design, and install a bank line stabilization planting with native wetland plants um, at Beaver Park along the river. At the the um, the there's a, a boat launch right there. Um, a little here, I guess you'd call it. It's looking good. Yeah, it looks really, really nice. It's right across from the Red Roof Public Works building um, mm -hmm. right there on University. So um, if you pass by, 
kudos to them for helping us with that project. That was a really nice collaboration that we're, yeah. we're proud of. Um, you have a lot of partners in preservation. We've gotten pretty good at collaborating. I think of all the things that we're known for, have been known for since Charlie and Jan founded the group, mm-hmm. it's been our ability to just work with folks and, and understand that like not every group has um, every kind of person or every every type of knowledge that we all need to, we all have similar missions, especially Mm -hmm. these environmental philanthropists in our community. We all kind of are very like-minded. So it's, it's easy to pool resources and, and expertise when, when your missions align and, and we've just gotten really good at kind of helping um, bring people together. Right. Um, Right. And a lot, it's government and outside government groups. Um, yeah, so, I mean, over the years, we've had folks from LCG sit on the board. Um, we've also had plenty of um, mm-hmm. volunteers from LCG, um, and we work. We also have a board member always sitting um, from DEQ, who also sort of helps us with the water quality program to make sure that mm-hmm. we're kind of in line with their QC process, which has been really great. Of course, Mr. Donald Segura with Tesh Vermillion Freshwater District sits on the board, so we are in constant collaboration with that group, which is a really great relationship. Um, we've we've cultivated um, UL. Um, we've been doing some really great work, mostly because we're very engaged with the sustainability department. Mm-hmm. Someone Gretchen. from that, yeah, yeah. Gretchen, and um, more recently, um, uh, we have been working with. Um, Dr. Ahmad Habib, he asked um, several groups from the community, including BBPA, to sit in on a focus group on some grant, uh, a project that he received grant money on. So, so we've been collaborating, you know, just mm-hmm. with those types of folks as well. Um, local garden clubs, man, they're the best. <laughs> they are so dedicated. Yeah, they're to this so community. so dedicated, and I mean, most of them are really just volunteer, you know. Mm-hmm volunteer based um and they just care they care so much of course sarah Steph scheffler Teresa katiana i have to do shout outs for all of these people tesh project um trail we've been working Scott with Schilling. yeah just to help mm-hmm. him promote um his activities which we're hoping to do a bit more now because i know the last few years have been kind of hard um on that group um the water and soil conservation districts we're always in collaboration with nrcs parish proud's a pretty new collaboration mm-hmm. they're a new Nonprofit or a new a new a new group, I guess, in the community, I mm-hmm. guess I should say, and um, I have some relationships with the Society of Wetland Scientists, which is a professional organization, and they've helped fund some some of the RRL um, programming that we've had over the years. So, just I mean, mm-hmm. you can't even imagine. I'm One probably the, missing somebody. You but. have a new a technical advisor that you. Um, missed. I think he's brand new. Dan Hill. Oh yeah, is, yes, he's married to my niece. Mm. Yes, he's with Wildlife and Fisheries, and he's just so passionate about. They just the came river. to our first. They moved from Lake Charles because of all the damage that oh, was sustained. Okay. You know, during her, just all, everything, the hurricanes and the, everything. We well, you know they more about their family him here. We do. We just he's met awesome. him. We just opened our arms wide and said, "Come oh, on into the meeting." Yeah. He reached out to me. I said, "Yep, go to Amber because she cool knows things. how to plug you in." So. That's awesome. Well, he, they came. To to the meeting last week it's great to have yeah. ldwf involved for sure yeah i was going to say one of the best things i think that bvpa does when we make these collaborations is that we're getting people up and down the test vermilion watershed mm-hmm. it's not strictly just lafayette um, so we can collaborate mm-hmm. with all those different soil water conservation districts and whatnot 
I see in our notes, Amber, that we had um, mentioned the Vermilion River Alliance. Did oh, we, yeah. we already, I think you mentioned it, but you want to talk about that and the importance of the Vermilion sure. River Alliance? Yeah, so the Vermilion River Alliance started back when Charlie and Jan, you know, got mm-hmm. involved and founded the group. And it was really the, the undertaking was to get uh, government agencies more engaged um, and basically bring all those parties together. So it wasn't just, you know, like a, a citizen science, you know, kind of opportunity. It was also like, let's impact policy if we can. Let's mm-hmm. let's see if we can really generate some real change. And so they were hosting um, Vermilion R- River Alliance meetings quarterly. So inviting these people from other parishes um, in government uh, to, to just talk about what they have going on in their parishes. Um, and we, the, of course, the pandemic, I had to keep saying that, but um, kind of prevented us from meeting. Oftentimes we would meet in a different parish every, um, uh, you know, four times a year. And at those meetings, you know, we'd give everyone an opportunity to kind of talk about what was going on um, from their perspective. But then also we'd have a... Um, an activity of sorts. So we'd meet, say, at a water treatment facility, or we'd meet at a, um, uh, in one of the more recent ones we did was in Vermilion Parish, and we met at the 4-H Ag Center, and NRCS brought one of their um, erosion um, rainfall simulator. Rainfall simulator. Thank you, Kara. Um, and that was such a neat thing for all of us mm-hmm. to see. Um, and, and then we always, you know, have lunch, of course, people love food. Um, but, uh, it was just a great, a great meeting to bring people together and just kind of talk about the state of things. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we actually had a virtual VRA meeting, um, late last year, uh, and we are anticipating having our first in-person meeting in the second quarter of this year. We had talks of doing one in St. Landry Parish. I'm hoping that we can make that happen. Um, But if not St. Landry, then we'll do one here in Lafayette Parish. And uh, we talked about potentially hosting it at um, BVD's new research building um, on uh, Vermilionville. Um, and uh, showing off, you know, That'd that facility yeah. to the folks who can make it out to the meeting. Right. So, so yeah, it's a, just another opportunity to get together, talk about the state of the river and our watershed, in you know, as a whole, um, but get that different sort of government perspective mm-hmm. that maybe we, we don't necessarily get from the symposium or you know some of the other things that we do throughout the year. All of this is so important, but yet not everybody is going to go out and replant mm-hmm. or join you for trash pickup, sure. right? But the bayou in Vermilion and the whole watershed, Chris, I want to get that in. But this is important to all of us for quality of life. So your work is really about bringing this home Mm -hmm. to the average person. Yeah. So and we've been thinking a lot about this lately because and I think mostly because I've started to recognize we are a heavy science-based board. We all you are. You're we all technical. are very <laughs> technical people. Um, and we found opportunities over the last few years to bring on folks who had more experience with community engagement, whether it be you know through meetings or social media. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've been lucky enough to bring on um, a few board members, in, including uh, teachers in the community Gosh. or retired teachers mm-hmm. who know how to educate people. And I think that that's been really helpful. But the other thing you know that we we've been thinking a lot about is just reconnecting people to the bayou, but doing that in a way that we meet people where they are. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And I think that's so important because like you said, not everybody's like gets jazzed about planting plants and picking up litter the way we do. <laughs> um, and so, you know, finding opportunities to expose people to the river who maybe don't have mm-hmm. property on the river or maybe don't have the, the, the means to own a boat or even a kayak. Um, and so, you know, trying to come up with events and activities that, that still get people to, uh, see it and, and potentially take ownership as a result mm-hmm. of that so that they want to take care of it. Um, and, and so we, we came up with an event recently called Boot Camp on the Bayou. Um, and we have this wonderful um, uh, uh, in, uh, fitness instructor, uh, Tiffany Salsman, uh, who has been instructing, uh, doing fitness instructing in our community for many years now. And uh, she is donating her time uh, to teach a fitness class um, at uh, various public parks along the river in our community once a month um, to just expose people, Mm -hmm. you know, a different crowd of people. I'll say it that way and um, uh, get people to just, I mean, just to get some fresh air, break a sweat, but also kind of just see like this is a major artery of our landscape. Water is in our blood. Like Mm -hmm. (laughs) we cannot get away from it. And so it's so important to, to see it, to really understand it. Um, and, and trying to figure out different ways people want to engage with the river outside of, you know, maybe directly, um, or, or through the various ways we've been connecting with it ourselves. So, um, I think it's so important to, Mm -hmm. to find ways to reconnect that way. You know, Jan and Charlie White were friends of mine, and it's just amazing to think about the, the spark that they were for our community. Mm -hmm. I mean, they moved here because their son was a cardiac surgeon and they moved here from out of state you know, to follow him. And I know, of course, they're no longer here, mm-hmm. but um, so passionate. They lived in Oakbourne, and mm-hmm. they were close to the bayou and could just see that this wasn't right. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm, I'm just so happy that they, they were doers. Yeah. They were both like can-do people. And Kira, it looks like because of the seed that they planted, um, there's a lot of annual events You've got a newsletter and, of course, the website. If you can maybe go over some of the things Absolutely. that happens in a year. I mean, I'm so thankful to them. When I joined BBPA, I had no mm-hmm. idea um, that this environmental group existed and was so successful in Lafayette. Mm-hmm. And um, we've just continued that legacy, I think, by trying to engage with the community wherever we can. So we've always got something going on. Um, we're always at Moncus Park tabling. You'll see us at uh, UL's Fête de la Terre for their Earth Day celebrations. When Vermilionville hosts Earth Day, we're there. Um, But we do a lot of different activities. Like uh, Chris mentioned, all of our tree plantings. Um, We do the anti-litter poster contests, rain barrel art contests, storm drain art contests. We're involved with the Schefflers and their Southern Garden Festival that's coming up in May. Um, we do our annual State of the River, usually around May, where we get a little bit more scientific and technical with um, what are the the actual results looking like from water quality sampling. Um, we try to do some familiarization tours or sunset cruises. Um, we have plenty of litter pickups, uh, trash tag opportunities. Um, We do our annual river symposium, of course, which is our big uh, fundraising event, as well as an opportunity for people to, part of that $27 does count towards your membership in BBPA for the next Mm -hmm. year. So um, that's also our big membership drive. 
Um, we're involved with the BVD on their fun annual festival and boat parade that's usually around September. Um, like we mentioned with Scott Schilling and Trail, we do a lot of help with them for races um, before Festival of Cadian or what's their big one coming up? Pa- uh, Bayou Paddle Battle. Mm-hmm. I yeah, think that's Bayou also Battle. in May. Yeah. Um, we work with Tesh Project in October for their big Shake Your Trail Feathers event. Um, and then we have recurring ones like uh, Amber mentioned, the, the Vermilion River Alliance meetings that are quarterly. Mm-hmm. And like I said, you can pop in and see us often at the farmer's market at Malkus Park. So guys, as we wind down, um, your community means a lot to you. If we can maybe have each of you just, and I didn't tell you I was going to ask this, but just <laughs> your favorite thing about what you're doing for the Bayou Vermilion Preservation Association or or why you feel it's important for others. If you can share this as we wind down, you know, Amber, I'll put you on the spot first, but you're so passionate and it comes from your heart. Well, I think it's because I'm from here and I grew up, you know, my parents didn't own a boat, um, but my dad grew up in Grand Isle. My mom was from Gaydon um, and we currently, not currently, we, um, we often crabbed. We'd go down to Rockefeller mm-hmm. Refuge. We crab a lot. Um, so my connection might not have been directly to the Vermilion River, but it was, there was a very strong connection to water and the culture around water, um, seafood, you know, mm-hmm. we crawfish boils, you know, all of those things and kind of learning like how important water is to our lifestyle. Um, as I, as I grew older and recognizing, you know, coastal land loss and, you know, how we need to make our coastlines more resilient towards hurricanes, all of that stuff kind of came together in my head as like, I want to be a small part of the solution if I can. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of what led me into my current career. But, um, I think, you know, the opportunity to, um, really learn from, the board members from BVPA, whenever I started meeting people involved with this organization, drew me to it even more. Um, I felt a kinship, I guess, with the people um, involved with this type of work because they were just as passionate as I was about um, the environment and and protecting um, the place that I loved so much. Um, and wanting to keep it preserved for many generations. There's something really beautiful um, about, um, you know, trying to protect something that you know your kids, your grandkids are going to need to to live in. So um, I think think that's why (laughs) for me. (laughs) Chris, how about you? Yeah, I grew up uh, spending a lot of time outdoors, and I've always just uh, had an affinity for spending my time outdoors. And it's, uh, you know, when when it's uh, beautiful and nice, it's also calming and centering. I really enjoy that. And so the chance to um, volunteer with an organization like this bridges that, that part of my past along with my professional work for the city of Lafayette in the planning department. So like engaging community, and bringing community in to um, think about the river and mm-hmm. the watershed. Um, you know, just the, the, uh, the tree plantings that we did, the Arbor Day event itself, that was a great example where not only did we plant more than 80 trees, but we had kids out there and we had grandparents out there mm-hmm. and we had parents and um, people of all ages coming together, meeting each other, having a good time and taking care of our environment. So, right. yeah, just it's really beautiful. enjoy that. 
And something that their kids are going to see again in 40 years and know, hey, I planted that Exactly. Too. Well, Carol, what about you? For me, um, just like these folks, you know, my career path is definitely in the environmental field. But uh, personally, yeah, I think like a lot of people my age, um, I had to at some point make a decision, you know, do I want to... Uh, stay or, or move? What does uh, what, what living in Lafayette, Louisiana mean to me? And um, I thought, you know, so many people that come here, they say Louisiana is so green. There's so many oak trees and the, just with the weather, it's so green here so often. And I said, you know, I want to I make my focus that I'm not going to leave. And if I do stay, I'm going to make this the best place. I'm going to commit to that. Um, I've always been highly involved with a lot of different service organizations, mostly with the Boy Scouts. And once my son had moved up into that Boy Scouting age and didn't need a, a den mother anymore, I said, <laughs> what, what can I focus all of my time and energy on now? And when I found out that BVPA existed, such a great, passionate organization doing so much amazing work, I said, all right, mm-hmm. I'll be the secretary for that. I'll give you all my organizational <laughs> skills and we'll get a lot of stuff done. And um, yeah, so I, th- I think that this is the best environmental organization in Lafayette that's going to get a lot of stuff done for current generations and future. I want to thank you both. I mean, your, your passion, your uh, dedication is inspirational. And I'm so pleased that we could get this podcast done. And in particular, thank all three of you for giving me show notes, because I don't know that I could have led this discussion. <laughs> you, you came so prepared. Thank you. Kira. For what you do. Well, thank, thank you all. Kira, we'll start with you, but thank you all for your expertise and for sending this ahead of time, because I would have been fumbling. I'd like to thank, um, again, Amber Robinson, who's president of the Bayou Vermilion Preservation Association, Chris Adams, who's a board member, active member, and Kira Fry, who is, are you secretary, is that right? Yes, of the association. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you. And again, please go to their website and look for the March 25th um, symposium coming up, and then maybe volunteer on uh, March 26th to go help clean up and plant things at Beaver Park. I'd like to thank our listeners for your ongoing support. You make this possible, as do our sponsors. I'd like to thank Oxner, Lafayette General, Home Bank, Facet Group, and of course, Raider, and in particular, Jason Sikora, who mixes our tape. If you haven't already subscribed to Discover Lafayette, please do so. You can get this wherever you get your podcast. On behalf of Discover Lafayette, I'm Jan Swift. Mm-hmm.